0: You are tuned in to the Paris Passages podcast. Thank you so much for letting my show be a part of your podcast library. Now here is your hostess with the most mess, Samantha Parrish. Hello and happy fall. Welcome back to the show. If you are new here, thank you for taking a chance on my little podcast show. I wish I could say that I'm joking about that, but there is a major emphasis on little as I record the show in a space that's like Harry Potter's first bad bedroom from the first book of the series. I'd rather have a studio than not have one at all, otherwise I wouldn't be here doing the show. And I'm very happy to be in my tiny little closet that I can provide a show for your listening entertainment, as well as my own entertainment. I'm not going to lie, because I do enjoy doing this show, otherwise same thing, I wouldn't be here doing the show. This little podcast show was all about dissecting, writing, commentating about genres, authors, and overall just enjoying a story to talk about and how it was created. And overall, just enjoying a story to talk about and how it was created. If there's one thing that I love after becoming a writer that I've said in most of my episodes is, I love seeing how a story came to be. And as the title says, this is the third installment of my little mini-series that I created called Inside Inglorious Ink. And with this third part of the series, I'm talking about my own work that I put into creating Inglorious Ink. In the first episode, I talked about the hidden gems I tucked into the tale of these tattoo artists. And the second episode was about my favorite moments and the moments that I was very proud of to write about. And this episode is going to be all about the sequel to Inglorious Ink. And I can't really give a definitive date when it's going to be released, because just like this podcast show, the second book is taking me a little bit longer than I anticipated, and I'm trying to ease up a little bit and just let the book be done when it's going to be done. It's one of the hardest parts, because I'm continually asked, when is the second book coming out? And even though I don't know when, I can give a little bit of a snippet of what's going on. But before I get into that, for those that are new, you might be wondering, what is *Inglorious* Inc.? What what is this book that I'm talking about? Now, I never know who is listening out there, and I don't like leaving people in the dark. I don't like being left in the dark without knowing what is happening or what's going on, and I'd rather go ahead and give the information for those new listeners out there. So I'm going to give an elevator pitch to what *Inglorious* Inc. is all about. Inglorious Inc. is a book about five people that work with and against each other in a tattoo parlor, as well as the second business within the shop where they take on illegal work for extra money. There are many different elevator pitches that I could give Inglorious Inc., but that is the smallest and clear way that I can be able to talk about my scrappy little scheming tattoo artist characters. The tagline for the first book was called The American Dream Scheme, and there's a reason why the tagline is called American Dream Scheme. That title is validated and well defended to these characters that will do whatever it takes to go beyond the law to make the extra money. To how these characters have gotten away with crime and how easy it comes to them, they're casual, they're very calculated, they're very calm to how they routinely do these jobs. To them, it's about as easy as breathing. Anything that comes to violence, framing, stealing, they react very normally to it because it's their normal. But that's why the tagline is called American Dream Scheme, because this is how they work the American Dream to their own advantage. Now, the sequel's title is going to be called The Glory Days. It's a fitting tagline title because it's going to be focusing more on the backgrounds of the characters. It dives into the days of all the characters. There are various stories that will be revealed of flashbacks of the characters. Jules, Cassie, Lou, Lance, Bullet. What was life like before they came to Inglorious Inc.? It goes through certain questions like, how did Lou get the tattoo parlor? And when did Jules and Cassie officially begin working for Inglorious Inc.? What did Bullet go through in her life before she came out and was comfortable doing so? And what did Lance have to do to survive in prison? There's been a mention of certain hard times that they went through. But that's just a little bit of icing on the cake, and this is basically going to be the rest of the icing for that cake, as you learn more about these characters. But with the questions answered about the hard lives of these characters, their lives are about to get harder in the second book, with past problems coming into the present. So with that said, I do have to say that there's going to be a spoiler warning. I have given spoiler warnings before in the past episodes, but this deals with major plot details since I am going to have to talk about the end of the events of the first book and then go into what happened and will be happening in the beginning of the second book. So if you haven't read the first book and you don't want me to reveal what you want to read for yourself, I won't stop you from doing that. By all means, I am very happy with that. But if you're like me, and you can acclimate to stories pretty well by getting a spoiler in advance, then by all means, get a snack, get comfortable, get warm, keep listening, and enjoy the show. Now, even though I said these are going to be major spoilers, and they are major spoilers, but I want you to think of these spoilers like a blur. Because you'll see it, but not all the way. Because I'm not going to give away every single detail that happened in the clusterfuck of a crisis that happened in the last couple of chapters of the first book of *Inglorious* Inc. Like, there's some stuff that I can't even tell you because it... whew. I at least want to give one surprise. The last book ended right on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And now the book begins in the summertime, where everything is... Everyone's on vacation. Everyone's having a good time except the crew of Inglorious Inc. They're having one hell of a time for what happened at the end of the book. And now it leads into the way their lives are now that there were some major changes that had to happen. Some of those changes included a higher. Client count in the tattoo business due to the publicity that happened. There's a change of location for the protocol of what they call the box business, where they do all of their illegal means of keeping people hostage until they give over certain money or keeping people there for certain bounties or anything that they are asked to do. They can't really do it if people are going to be at the shop all the time. Before, they had like people here and there, and now they're up to their gills in clients. But that also means that they can't just stop doing the box business job since the people that are in charge of the box business, they want their business dealt with. They don't really care that it's a tattoo parlor. They want their stuff done, which means all five characters are either screwed out of a job or they're worked to the bone to the point that they will disintegrate and be so tired from it. But this is the way their lives are now. Given in the first book, the protocol was basically get there before the other person does the job and make sure you get all the money before Jules takes a portion of the money. But it's not just the fact that things have been overworked for most of the team or have to deal with this new dichotomy. But now the team has to work together to get out of the situation that was worse than the original one. And this is a small portion of what happened at the end of the book. So here's the recap. In the first book, the main problem was these people called the Mechanics, and they were relentless to let the crew of Glory Sink know, hey, you can't go to the cops. You can't do anything if you don't want something happening to someone else. They have done an unspeakable act to someone that they all loved very dearly. And in order to protect the ones that they loved, as well as protecting the one that had to leave due to, the again, the unspeakable act that they did. They just had to accept that Mitchell won. And then Mitchell, who is the main bad guy of the first book, the stuff that Mitchell and his mechanics have done has been awful to the team. And then it finally came to the worst of it all, where Mitchell finally put them in their place, and he wants to take over the whole strip, and he wants to get rid of Inglorious Inc. by telling the police what had happened and it was orchestrated in such a way that they couldn't even intervene to stop it from happening they just had to accept it by the time the police officers arrived for the whole thing they were ready to be taken to jail the cops went to mitchell's place and arrested mitchell and his cohorts and no one had any idea what was going on mitchell had no idea how in the world the tables turned in a way that he got arrested Lou, Bullet, and Jules have no idea because they never did anything to intervene. The saving grace came from the people that they work with. And the people they work for are called Mark and Diamond. Mark and Diamond have only been mentioned throughout the first book. And you never even really see them. They're basically like Charlie from Charlie's Angels, but if Charlie was a bad guy, and if there were two Charlies. But unlike Charlie... They do make an appearance at the end of the book, after these little snippets of knowing that they were in the car or on the phone. They are the ones in charge of the illegal business called the box. And with business people, there had to be this aura that emanates a respect to be taken seriously for who is in charge. And they emanate more than just a presence of position. They emanate a threat and everyone is quiet out of fear. Even to someone like Jules, who in the first book doesn't give a shit what anybody does or what anybody thinks he's going to do what he wants to do. And it even gets to a character like him that he doesn't even want to fuck with Mark and Diamond knowing that something could happen to him or his best friend Cassie. Not even Lou can do anything about it who knows Mark and Diamond his whole life. And he's terrified of them too. So the entire team has to make way for the fact that now Mark and Diamond are getting fed up with what's happening and what almost happened to their shop because of almost getting arrested by the mechanics. The tattoo team can basically handle anything. They can do anything out of the illegal system. But when it comes to Mark and Diamond, it isn't a business ordeal. And it's very obvious that they are pawns. And since they are pawns, they sit and wonder how they're going to be rearranged in their grand American dream scheme, all for the money and the power without it being public knowledge. I mean, even if these characters, Mark and Diamond, did go public, then their power would be up for grabs. People would know they have power and want to take it away from them. They'd rather have it that no one in Duran knows that the entire town is basically owned by these two. That's a terrifying thought, that to know... You could be in the town and not know that's actually secretly owned by someone else without it really being public knowledge. It's kind of terrifying. But instead, they came to say everything is resolved and they are giving a chance at acclamation. They hated it how the team became distracted because of the mechanics, and they even revealed exactly how it all got done. Mark and Diamond knew about Mitchell and the mechanics, but they chose not to do anything about it because it wasn't their problem. They just told them all to suck it up, that, yeah, sorry, your friend was violated by them, but you have a job to do. And what they call a distraction got even worse. They had to intervene, but they couldn't really intervene like they usually do. They had to have an inside man. And their inside man was our main character, Lance Jackson. They reached out to him and said, hey, would you like to have your story listened to because we know what happened to you in prison and we're willing to help you if you help us. And Lance's reaction, he said the same thing that Marlon Brando said in The Godfather. They gave me an offer that I couldn't refuse. And now six months later in the summertime, the problems are making them sweat faster than the summer heat. Every one of the members of the team have to stick to the new rules to make money. And they aren't in charge of the box business anymore. And the one thing that Mark and Diamond hate is Jules. (laughs) They have revoked a lot of jobs from Jules because of the fact that, like mentioned, he will screw someone out of a job to get more money. Even though it's still not making everything a fair balance that everyone gets a fair amount of pay. Everyone is assigned a certain partner. There's no longer people working by themselves or working in three. Usually you only have two people working and that's kind of the amount of people that you'd want because you know the other person. It's not going to be this overabundance of having too much into a group to keep up with everybody. So they have issued all the members of Inglory Sync to have a certain partner and stick with that partner for the job. And there's no take back of it all. It's kind of like if you're in class and you are issued a partner and you, you couldn't tell the teacher, no, I don't want to work with Timmy. He's weird. Too bad. You're going to have to work with that person. Now Mark and Diamond have issued it that Jules and Cassie work together and it's not because they're best friends, but it's because they've been the biggest threat to the parlor, the biggest threat to them and have screwed them out of a job. They have Lou and Lance work together by having the person who was in charge of the shop and the person who still knew working together, which does honestly make sense. And then you have Gavin and Bullet, who work together, and it's not because of the fact that they're also best friends, but it's also because to Mark and Diamond, they are the weakest. They have everyone organized, not by strength, but by knowing who can't screw them out of their jobs. They don't give Jules and Cassie any jobs, and by having them together, they can't really do anything with another person. If they were to pair Jules and Cassie with anyone else in the parlor, it would just be a free-for-all, and someone would try to take all the money. So with this new dichotomy and this new partnership that they have to fall into, everyone, the members of the team, have to stick to the new rules, not just to make money, but to survive. This time, the inglorious team has no choice now that Mark and Diamond have more observation that the rules are being followed this time, so again... Just like how I said earlier, that their presence isn't because of position, they make a presence as a threat. These are very dangerous people. They don't even care about the money at this point. Now, it's kind of a side note, but this is the first time in the book that there's been more of a structure to the shop. Now, Lou is the manager of the Inglorious Inc., but throughout the first book, he is not respected... And anything that he says goes right behind his back. And from the get-go, the first people that were hired, with quotation marks around that, hired, was Jules and Cassie. Jules came in and threatened his way into work and threatened Lou to give employment to Cassie. And I was asked one time about the character Lou, about how I feel about him. And the best way to explain it is that he's a manager that doesn't know how to manage But compared to the actual people in charge, Lou's very gracious, despite the fact that he complains about how everyone screws over each other in the box business and in the tattoo business, too. He's technically the only one that's supposed to be working these box jobs. So Mark and Diamond don't like the fact that there are four additional people that are into the box business. They were only supposed to be a part of the tattoo portion of the job. And Mark and Diamond don't like it because it's witnesses. It could sabotage the plans that Mark and Diamond have for further power. It's like the quote that Benjamin Franklin said. Three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. So having four people added onto the box job is switched from finding annoyance to trying to find an advantage. So you makes you wonder, how is the crew going to get out of it? They're stuck. But unfortunately... That's only one-third of the problem. The second of the three problems that's going on is within one of the main characters. And this is going to be the second major insight, kind of a spoiler for the second book. And it has to do with the character Jules. It's evident in the first book that Jules is an alcoholic. Every night he drinks Sometimes he can go a day without alcohol only if there's no alcohol available in a situation that he's at. If not, he goes home, he gets right to that bottle of Jack or Scotch, anything that will get Jules 100% wrecked. The history of his alcoholism has been mentioned in the first book about why he began drinking, and it was because of a coping mechanism to what happened to Cassie's parents that he thought of like his own parents. That was on the escalation. Before Jules drank, it was just here and there, out of the fun for it all. Jules is now facing a problem that he never thought that he'd have, even though it's something that should be very obvious that it was going to happen. When you drink copious amounts of alcohol, it's going to come back to haunt the body one way or another. And now he has to face the facts. And after feeling weak and tired for reasons he doesn't know why, because the man doesn't go to a doctor, Jules is not the kind of character that cares about himself so much that he's going to go pay money to a doctor or dentist and find out what's wrong with him. But now Jules is facing a problem he never thought that he'd have. A liver problem. If he doesn't find a liver that's a positive match and will acclimate to his body, he will not see 29 years old. Not only is it a problem for Jules having a critical health problem, it's a problem for his safety. I had been talking throughout this whole episode that Mark and Diamond, the people who own this shop, are dangerous people. And if, and, of course they know that Jules was bound to have uh, a liver problem sooner or later with the amount that he drinks. They're going to be elated by it. But that also puts at the tension to know, well, could they finish off the job themselves? Could they hurt Jules in a position where he can't defend himself? And even though he lives with his best friend Cassie, it makes him worry for her safety too. Jules is one of the most powerful people that has kept up the protection of the shop from getting caught to be arrested or protected from others that want to make a physical kind of damage to the parlor or the employees, even though he complains about everybody. He does care about what happens to them. He would never want anything to happen to Lou or to Bullet. And of course, Cassie's his best friend, so that's his first priority. And even a small part of him doesn't want anything to happen to Lance. A very, 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 very small part, because the man still is going to pick on Lance every chance he gets, and Lance is still technically new, so he doesn't have that much, too much trust into Lance quite yet. But it makes Jules worry. How is he going to get a liver without Mark and Diamond knowing or screwing him out of trying to save his life? Because it would be a perfect opportunity for them to get rid of Jules. But Jules isn't really worried too much about finding a liver. He's also worried about what's going to happen to the only person he's ever called family, which is Cassie. But also in a character note for Cassie, this is her best friend, her family, This is a person that has been there for her when her parents died, and it was even there for her before her parents died. He's the person that prepared her for a very cruel world and helped her acclimate to a world that is going to be raw and ruthless. Jules makes up a big part of her world, and they are very codependent. They don't know how to live without each other, despite the fact that they are not a romantic couple by any means, but they are just people that know that they need each other are the only friends that they have ever known and have ever had. They know how to protect each other. They've taught each other so much and how to live on into the world. And Cassie will refuse to have to lose someone else. She's already lost her parents. She is not going to lose Jules. She won't let it happen to him. She's not going to let him die from alcohol. But not only do Cassie and Jules have the problems of finding out that they can't really get certain jobs in the box business because Mark and Diamond are screwing them over in jobs, and also with Jules having the medical problem of his liver, Lance has been having a tougher time navigating the job. Now that he's been getting into Inglorious Inc. and has been basically accepted finally, he's also been overworked. He's used to the full advantage of, That now that he is being used for jobs and he's been asked to do jobs, they ask too much of him. And now the poor guy is running on a gas tank lower than empty. And it makes you wonder, how is Lance going to keep up with all of this? That he got out of prison and he's working a tattoo parlor job and he's working box jobs and he doesn't have any energy for either jobs because he's being overworked. The poor guy is going to be going through some major hell in this book. And also with Bullet, Bullet has been going through the hurdles of her personal life, of what she went through in the previous book. And then there's Lou. There's so many times I've written Lou's character that I have to bait just throwing a bottle of ibuprofen at the book because of everything he's going through. I've mentioned that he's a manager that doesn't know how to manage. And there's been so much that has been asked of him. Lou's job has never stopped there is no such thing as relief for someone like Lou. He's done everything he can to protect the people that he loves and also trying to protect the people of the shop, even though he doesn't really get shown respect. And in the second book, he goes to certain lengths to still protect the people that he loves as he is finally trying to get out from the claws and cages that Mark and Diamond have put him in. And they have been putting him in a cage even before he got in glorious sink. He was trapped by them. And you'll find out more about the relationship that he had with them and when it truly began and how long it's been going and how it has affected him for many, many, many years. Lou has probably been put through more hell by Mark and Diamond more than any other character because he's the one that owns the shop. They take out then if he does something wrong, he's the one to hear about it, even though he didn't do anything wrong. It's a very tragic thing with this character that he is a good person. He's doing everything he can. And all he is faced with is disrespect and abuse. And it's terrible. And there's no such thing as a life that you go through where you don't have problems. There's been so many emotional moments in this story that I have written for the stuff that's happening to Jules and his diagnosis, For what Cassie has been going through as she's been trying to handle Jules' diagnosis and doing what she can to save him. For the future problems that are coming up. For the things that's revealed about Lance and how it's affected him. For what Bullet's gone through. For what Lou has gone through. For what everyone has been going through. There's been a lot of heavy moments. I have been plowing through tissues, and I think this book is going to have to be given with, like, a complimentary packet of tissues, and I wish I was joking about that, but there is some sad stuff coming up. It's going to get better, but I want to give that last major spoiler that there's going to be some major sad stuff. I wish that there was more I could say, because there is actually a third problem, as I gave the two major problems going on with what the characters are facing, but that's all I can give. You will find out the rest when the book gets published. Thank you for listening to this three-part series of Inside and Glory, Inc. It took longer than I thought with the original run that it was only going to be throughout the month of August, and now we're in November. But just like my second book, it just needed the extra time to be written. So now I can officially close my first mini-series, and I want to say thank you again for listening to it. Now, the next topic of the Paris Passages podcast will be about writer characters. I've been thinking extensively about how they work in the media, of, about what it's like to really be a writer and see that representation, and put down your own story while also being careful about how much you share. And there is going to be some personal input, and a big emphasis on the word personal, about what it's like to share very personal stories and have to be very careful about that. And so that will wrap up this episode of the Paris Passages podcast. Thank you again for listening to this episode. Have a wonderful day. Make good decisions. Be safe. Be healthy. Be careful. Please don't forget to take care of yourself. I would know because sometimes I forget to take care of myself. So this is going to be your little end of the episode reminder. And I will be back with another episode. Bye-bye.